So she dedicated me in our backyard to the Lord. But it was actually, it was a really moving experience for mm -hmm. her, and I was, I was actually really grateful. That's pretty cool. Yeah, she lifted me up in the air. Big pajamas, penguins on the bar. See? Mm-hmm. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandals Church, where Pastor Matt Brown brings real answers to tough questions from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin Pardee, hanging out here with my pal, Stephanie, and the Pastor Matt Brown. I thought you forgot who you were for a second. I know. You I was paused a pause. for a long like, time for you. I'm... Oh, who am I? I? It was a dramatic pause for tension so that people would be like, oh, it who, is him. It I is think him. you had a senior who moment. They could have thought for a moment, is it Tim? Is it Tim? Oh, no. Oh, good. It's Justin again. Mm. We like Tim. Yeah, they probably missed him. But we're bouncing out. Mm. Yeah, they probably do. We'll yeah, get him. My up. mom we'll loved him when Tim was on the show. She's we like, need to get Tim back. So great. Tim, we love you. Yeah. What about my voice, Stephanie's mom? Uh, I think it's a great. I don't know. She average hasn't said voice. It's medium. Voice. It's medium. Mm. Yeah. Kind of like that shirt. Podcast. <laughs> Keeps us entertained. <laughs> oh man! Well, this is a fantastic podcast, as proven not just by our own attitudes about it, but by the five star reviews you mm -hmm. guys continue to leave into our store. And before we jump into these questions, we've got a five star review fresh off the books. This one comes from Kenna Elise. That's right, and Kenna says, "Thank you, thank you for diving into these tough questions and issues that for so long have been shied away from by teachers. Every week, I look forward to church, and every Tuesday, I look forward to diving deeper into the message with some of the debrief. It has challenged me to have tough conversations with myself about what I believe, conversations with God about what I need to change, and great conversations with others that edify our relationships. This has benefited my life. Keep up the great work." Wow, that was great. I'm yeah. dinging her because did you see that she dropped the rogo vision? Oh yes, yeah. in her five star reviews. Yep. Yeah, that was great. That I was actually I, really encouraging. I just heard it start coming. I was I like, know. hold on. She mm. just hit self. Now she's talking about God. Mm -hmm. Are others coming? It did. Oh, yeah. She closed out with the others. Well, Ken, if you want to help done. out on the communications team, yeah, I think dude. we've got uh, a spot excellent. for you. That was so good. That, that was so good. Uh, we love it when you guys leave those five-star reviews in the iTunes store. You can leave them anywhere else you want, but of course, that one's in the iTunes store. Help us out. iTunes store is basically like Google for podcasts, so uh, it is super helpful when you, you guys know, leave those. There is a Google store for podcasts. Right, but it's not as it's not as powerful and important and okay. effective. It is Google. Yeah, yeah, have fun. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. You know what? Just ask a question. Okay. <laughs> no, we, we're going to debrief. We've got, so the last couple of weeks you've mm -hmm. talked about, two weeks ago, you closed out the other series talking about heaven. Mm -hmm. This last week, we talked about dreams uh, mm -hmm. as we celebrated our 20th anniversary. And we've got a bunch of questions on both of those two topics. Right on. So it's going to be really fun. That's right. So we're going to start off with just some questions from this last week in sermon on dreams. And Kayla wrote in and said, my husband and I have always dreamed to be parents together, but over the last year and a half, infertility has become part of our lives and has definitely stretched us to say the least. You said this weekend that God's dreams for us always move us and are always good. We have definitely been moved through infertility and have grown so much closer with God and each other, but there are days when this path feels so heartbreaking that it can't possibly be good. We have hope that there's a chance, but with every passing month, that dream seems to shatter a little more. The word says that if you trust the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But what if we can't have children? When do we know to give up? And what if the dreams of our hearts are wrong about God's plan for us? Yeah, that's great. And so, um, you know, that verse, trust the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what that verse means is if you trust him, he will fulfill your desires because he becomes your desire. And so the the direction of that verse is not towards what you want, it's towards God. It's God mm -hmm. moving your heart towards him. So ultimately understand God is, God is the reward. God is the treasure. God is everything that you want. Having said that, I think that, you know, God, uh, you know, wants uh, you to be a parent if you want to be a parent, 
But you know that there, there are biological factors. We, we live in a fallen world. We're fallen emotionally, we're fallen spiritually, and we're fallen physically. And that's just the reality. And many people today are having uh, troubles with infertility. Right. You're not alone. This is a, a big deal. I've been in multiple small groups over 20 years. And in almost every small group, we had a couple that struggled specifically with this issue. Some couples went on to have kids and some couples you know, chose other avenues to uh, build a family. And I would just really encourage you. So the, God's dream move us. And so maybe God is trying to move you away from you know, parenting or loving a biological child because there are many, many children out there that need loving parents, that need mm-hmm. loving homes. And I would really, really encourage you to look into fostering and adoption. And that's a great, great way uh, in order to do that. There's tons of kids out there who need to be loved, who need to be cared for. And through all kinds of circumstances, usually because of parent neglect or abuse, they don't have a home. And so, you know, what a great opportunity for you guys to at least pray about that. And here's the thing. There are people, man, who they adopt kids and all of a sudden, boom, you know, out comes the biological process. And so we don't understand that. I mean, you know, we, we know a lot about, um, you know, fertility, but it's still a lot of it's a, a mystery. And, and I've literally been in small group where the doctors have said, there's nothing biologically wrong with you that we can detect. And yet- for whatever happening. reason, it didn't happen. And so God ultimately led uh, the particular couple that I'm talking about to adopt two beautiful boys. And we love both of them and they're in our lives. And we're so thankful and grateful for those two young men that they're raising and they have a family. And so God builds a family in multiple ways. And just for those of you who struggle with adoption, you have to realize that all of us as Christians are adopted. We are not biological children. I mean, Jesus is the only biological child because his DNA came directly from the Holy Spirit. We are all adopted into the kingdom. And so... um, that's a beautiful, beautiful process. And the way I look at it is oftentimes the pain of infertility really is just simply the labor process that you go through, just like a woman goes through uh, mm. with a biological child, the pain, the suffering, the changes, the heartache, all of those things that she goes through, this process of hurt and suffering is that those birth pains that ultimately will lead you to a great love and appreciation for whatever child you give. So I'll, you know, I'll pray for you after the show specifically that God would, would bless you with uh, your child, but I also would pray that God... Um, speaks to your spirit and opens you and your husband's hearts up to the potential of adopting somebody because that's a that's a real important thing in culture and um, I wish more Christians would do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Over the last couple of years, three of our pastors' families mm-hmm. here on staff. I think is it three yeah. that have adopted? So mm-hmm. cool, mm-hmm. really, really awesome. Yeah, and all of the kids are great. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and it's not that they don't have challenges, but you know, biological kids have challenges. Mm-hmm. So I was just hanging out with my mom this weekend. She was talking about me. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so this question comes in from Jonathan, who says, in your message this past Saturday night, you stated a dream from God will require great suffering from God to prepare you. How were you able to persevere through the suffering it took to start Sandals Church? Yeah, man, I don't know. <laughs> there were so many There were so many times where I, I literally thought, I cannot do this. And, and the suffering that my wife and I endured was relational pain. You know, mm-hmm. the breaking off of relationships, people coming into your life, saying we're here, you know, for good, and then you know, for whatever reason, sometimes God legitimately called them to other places and that's painful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've learned from that process, but sometimes it's the breaking up of relationship. It's the disagreement. It's what Paul and Barnabas go through in the book of Acts. You know, there's a tearing there and it, and it feels, um, you know, like divorce and it feels hard and, and, and hurtful. And so that's what, but I think ultimately what God was doing in that process. And, and I've talked to Tammy about this multiple times is God wants us to be dependent upon him. 
not on anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, God did not call anybody else to start Samuel's Church. He called me and then he called Tammy ultimately to follow me. And so we need to stay faithful to that call and true to that. And so part of the heartache in that process was just continuing to get me to be dependent upon him, to trust him in that process. And um, I think that's why, but you know, I, I, I wish I could say that I was always brave, that I was always courageous. But the bottom line is, man, there was many, many times where, you know, I just really, really wanted to go somewhere else. And uh, I'm, but I'm so grateful that we we struggled through those difficulties because one of the reasons, you know, this past weekend was so emotional for me is because Sandals is such a wonderful place now. Mm-hmm. We have such great staff, such great people, such great momentum. I mean, God is doing so many specific things and I would have missed out on all of that had I not suffered through the dark years and the difficult years. You know, um, I was texting with Mark Driscoll um, this weekend and we were just going back and forth just about, you know, this is Sandals' 20th anniversary. And this would have been Mars Hill, mm. 20th anniversary oh, wow. uh, as well. And that church doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, Mark is, um, I love Mark. And uh, he gets a lot of undue criticism and, and no one's perfect, but I, he has just been such a good person for me. I can't speak to what he's been in other people's lives. For me, he's been a good person in my life and I just love him. But there's a lot of heartache for him mm-hmm. because he and Grace don't get to share in the 20 years of, you know, it's, it's like watching your kid graduate from college. You know, there's a lot of struggles. There's mm-hmm. a lot of heartache. There's a lot of sleepless nights. There's a, there, there's a lot of pain and all of that pain leads to the joy of watching your kid do something amazing or be something incredible. You know, I was talking to my dad and he, you know, he went through every service and he said he just cried through every service. Mm-hmm. And that's because he remembers what it was like and, and, and watched me struggle, watched our battles. You know, no, no kid is perfect. And so I had all kinds of struggles. And so he's been able to view that and has a, a unique seat in the story of Sandals Church. And uh, it's the struggle that, that, that creates the, the, just the, the joy. And so that's why I think, again, why is God allowing all of these horrible things so that we can appreciate heaven and we can appreciate what life is like. I mean, we'll know what it's like to not hurt because we know what it likes to hurt. So, mm-hmm. so I thank you for the question and just know this weekend was so emotional for me. Um, I don't even think I liked my sermon. <laughs> oh man. I, I was so, I was so emotional. I was so, I was so I was such a wreck this week. That was probably mm-hmm. one of the worst sermons I've ever preached. Oh my gosh. And just in terms of clarity, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just like one of those moments, you know, when my daughter goes on her first date, I shake her hand. You know, it's like, oh gosh, why, <laughs> why didn't I give you a hug? So, yeah. Well. yeah, well, it seems like this sermon actually really impacted a lot of people. I oh, mean, we've I'm glad. gotten a ton of questions in. and um, yeah, God's one, grace is real. Yeah. yeah and this actual right. statement from Matthew says, this last sermon really hit me. Mm. I recently graduated from college and within a, within a couple months, I landed a job in Los Angeles at a prestigious company. Like you said in your sermon, I got what I prayed for, but at the end of the day, I feel empty. Everyone I've asked said it's because it's all new and I'll be uncomfortable for a while until I get used to it, which I agree with. But there's something inside me that keeps tugging me toward a career that would entail helping, mentoring, or teaching in some capacity. Is God leading me to a different path? Or is this just my nerves telling me to go back home because it's comfortable there? Mm. Yeah, I have no idea. Mm. I mean, I have no idea what God is doing. And again, this is why you need spiritual leaders in your life to speak into your specific life. I think all of us go through a transition. I'm watching my oldest daughter, you know, she's now a junior in college and she's approaching, you know, gonna go get a job and have a career and and she's nervous and rightfully so, because it's Mm -hmm. a scary, scary time. And I remember feeling that pressure and feeling like, oh my gosh, I've got to provide and I've got to do things. And I just wanted you to know that adulthood, becoming an adult, becoming mature is learning to do things that you have to do so that you can do what you want to do. And I think a lot of young people need to really, really clarify the dream. And so I really had two dreams in my life. And one dream was to plant a church, but the other dream was Tammy. 
Tammy and our family was my dream. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I wanted. And I remember very, very vividly when I was about 25 years old, I said, God, this is what I want. I want to stay married to Tammy. I want to raise our kids. I want to have a good life with her because we, we had really, really, we had a lot of difficulties because we were very, very dysfunctional in our dating and we didn't deal with any of those issues. Um, so we had a lot of challenges. So I would just say that, you know, just, just understand that you probably are young. Well, you, you are young, but you probably are having a hard time with just the grind of work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think that we're called to find our meaning mm-hmm. from work. I think we get our meaning from God and we get our meaning from our family. And that's where I think this generation is so tweaked. You work so that you can come home to your family. You work so that you can provide for your family. You work so you can give to God. You work so you can support the church. That's where I find my meaning. And just know this, you know, when I was about your age, um, I, I too made a, a, a big transition. I was going to go to law school. Um, and I think I would have been a good lawyer. I think I would have been a good trial lawyer. Um, but God called me to do something else. And so there have been financial consequences for me and my family. And so there's people that I see now that, you know, um, I oversee a company called Sandals Church that's worth millions and millions of dollars. I am not a millionaire mm-hmm. because I, I, that's not what Sandals Church is about. It's not about making me rich. Uh, and again, I'm well paid and I'm, I'm grateful for our board, but you just have to really, really understand that that's a real clear choice. When you choose to serve, you are choosing not to pursue you know, money and you have to be okay with that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, just, just make sure that you're, you're honest with yourself about that. Yeah. You know, we, my wife and I were just hanging out with a couple last week. He's a super successful business owner here in town, but every single Wednesday he leaves work early and he's here at St. Al's Church hanging out with front side students, leading a group of boys that he's, this is like his second year with, you yeah. know, and he's doing exactly all these things. He's mentoring, he's leading, he's teaching, he's helping young mm-hmm. boys figure out how to become young men of God. Um yeah, and just and know this, if you're in your 20s, you're not going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's one of the things that, you know, I hate about all of these income statistics about how incomes are falling. It's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's probably no, nothing more dishonest in our culture than statistics. And so you just have to understand this. If you're a young person, you're going to make more money. You're going to peak with what you make somewhere around 40 to 45. And then old people, listen, it's your income's going to go down. You, 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 that's just the way, that's the way the bell curve works with economics. You, you peak in your 40s and then you kind of go down. And, and part of the problem why I think so many of us are unhappy in America is because we think as young people, we should start off at the peak mm-hmm. and we think when we're retired, we should remain at the peak. Yeah. And that's just, that's just not reality. And mm-hmm. man, if you want to pray for one thing uh, in America, pray they get real because we're just not real. And so, uh, you know, we all hear about the one percenters you know, all the one percenters are evil. Did you know that like 95% of the one percenters last in the 1% for one year? Hmm. One year, some, some two years, because it's it's almost impossible to continue to maintain that level of wealth because right. things go wrong, things happen. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people can't, uh, you know, uh, maintain that. And they think that maintaining it is normal. You know, the Kardashians are not going to be rich and famous forever. It's not going to, at some point, America's going to wake up and go, this is lame. Mm-hmm. At some point, I, I would have thought it would have happened... Uh, a couple ago. years ago, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, apparently America is fascinated with this family. Yeah, yeah, and just Matthew, I think I've said this on the show before. Like, I remember those first few years out of college. Like, I got a great job out of college too. I loved it. Um, it was like you know exactly what I thought I was going to get to do through college. Loved it, but those first few years were miserable, and it wasn't 
necessarily because the job was awful. It was just because it was hard and stepping out of college and the freedom that you have there into then a you know 40 hour, probably more than that if you're working in Los Angeles, work week is hard and it's just a really tough transition. So, and I remember having like all the thoughts like, oh my gosh, maybe I should be a missionary. Oh my gosh, maybe I should go do this. Oh my gosh, maybe I should go do this. I'm doing all the wrong things. And I'm so thankful now that I stuck it out and I stayed there for a good five or six years, just sort of learning to work, learning how to mm -hmm. be a professional. Um, and I'm so thankful I didn't bail out to try to do something else because I learned a lot of things now that have actually really paid off now that I get to work in ministry and do something different that's really fun and really fulfilling. But I wouldn't be where I am now had I not chosen to stick it out for a few years and just sort of learn what it looks like to work. Yeah, and I would so. just say this. How old were you when you graduated? You were young. I was 21. Yeah, yeah so just know this. Your brain is not fully developed. Mm -hmm. uh, most women's brains fully develops at about 26, and, and men are we're a little, sorry, we're a little slower, a little later, 26, 27 years old. So don't, don't sink the ship <laughs> until you're 26 or 27 years old and figure out, okay, I kind of have a good idea of who I am. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of changing that occurs yeah. between 21 and 26. And so mm -hmm. just know your brain is literally, you hit puberty and your brain scrambles. Your brain is scrambled eggs. And then it's slowly um, you know, reforming and it, and it kind of finishes at about 26, 27 years old. So, mm -hmm. it, and, and we're all on a different schedule. Not everybody's on exactly the same schedule. So mm -hmm. for some of us that might finish at 24, you know, others, it might be, you know, 44. I don't know. No, it's not going to be that long. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then Mark asked this question. Uh, he says, in your message about making your dreams come true, you said to have input from leaders on whether your dream is from God or yourself. My question is, who do you mean by leaders? It can't just be you and the staff as there's no way the church can have time for all 10,000 of us. You mentioned community groups, but are they leaders or peers? Yeah. So again, not every community group is a leader. You got to find leaders. And so here's, this is why it's so important that you get super involved in, in sandals. The more involved you are, the more connected you're going to be with great leaders. Mm -hmm. If you're a casual person sitting in the pews and, and, and not doing a lot, you're right. We're not going to have a lot of time for you. Why would we do that? Because we, we have 10,000 people to care for. But if you are involved in Rogo School, if you're involved in high level leadership, if you're doing those things, A, I'm going to hear about you. I hear about all those people. And so so I would say get more and more involved and you're going to have more and more opportunities to lock arms with great leaders that can speak into your life. Um, but you, your point is is absolutely right on. Not everybody in a small group is, is worthy of that. But I would say this, if you give your small group permission and you, you, you honestly say, hey guys, for reals, I'm throwing this out there and I want input and I want you to tell me what your gut reaction is. Because most people are going to be really, really intimidated to say, well, I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to say that. But the Holy Spirit is inside every single believer. And just go around and say, give me your gut reaction to this. Like, I'm going to marry this girl. Gut reaction. And let's go around the room. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. No, 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 no. You know? And, 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 and just try to figure that out. And then if it's, then ask the people who are opposite of what you want. Why do, why do you feel that way? What maybe am I missing? And don't get offended. Don't get upset but legitimately ask people. And, and I, I would say this, I probably have the best reputation in all of the Inland Empire for seeking out information. Mm -hmm. There's a reason Greg Laurie made a, a video for me. You know, Tom Lance, Monty, uh, Rick Warren, these guys know me because I sought them out. I went to them and I asked hard questions and I listened. I listened. There were so many times, you know, um, where I wanted to do something, but they had a different set of advice. And even with Greg Laurie, specifically one time he gave me advice and I didn't listen. And he was right and I was wrong. I wrote him a letter and mm -hmm. I said, you were right, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm gonna remember that. I'm not gonna make that mistake again because Greg spoke into my life and I didn't listen. I was stupid. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
that, that's just what I would say is, is, is rub elbows with people who are strong and people who have wisdom. And, um, you know, I mean, for, you know, for people who know me, I would just say, Matt, give me your gut reaction. Give me your instant gut reaction. Yes or no, good or bad. I'm usually right. <laughs> Sorry. You know, there's, I think there's a humility piece yeah. to listening to your group. I remember, you know, it was probably like 13 years ago. Yeah. I'm, get, I'm in the process of selling off all my belongings and preparing to move to New York. My entire community group said, Justin, this is super dumb. Mm. I just wasn't listening to them. Eventually you came and said, Justin, this is super dumb. And I listened to you. The issue was not that my small group was not offering wisdom or, or uh, good leadership in my life. It was mm-hmm. my pride and arrogance in not listening to them. Mm. Uh, Wait, so I, say that again. You had pride and arrogance. Mm. I'll say it again. Because there was, was a time the in your life when you told me. There was a time in your life when you told me you had no pride. I did say that. Mm. I will own that. Uh, mm. Own that. But <laughs> Mark, learn from an idiot. <laughs> Actually, you're awesome. Well, we've gotten there. <laughs> We're moving in the right direction, at least. Yeah. Okay, can, can we ask one one last question? Man, are there r- anything really practically we can do on a regular basis in order to help uh, us know God's motives and dreams versus our own motives? Relationships? Yeah. yeah, well, I would say this. If you're not in God's word, God's word's not in you. Okay. So God's word is that rudder that's constantly directing you. Like right now, I'm in the book of Daniel and... Um, you know, there, there are some books, I'll just be honest, that, that I love reading. And there mm-hmm. are other books where I'm like, oh God, I got to get through this. Yeah. Um, Daniel's one of those books that I love reading every single time, or at least the first seven chapters. And uh, I, I just love that. And so the book of Daniel is, uh, most people don't know this, but it's actually written in two languages. Oh. So the first seven chapters is in Aramaic. And um, Aramaic was the language of the world at that time, just like Jesus um, would have understood Greek mm-hmm. because Greek was the language of the world. Right now, the language of the world is English. That's the that's the language that's used all over the world. And so I think that the first seven chapters of Daniel are written in Aramaic because it's just, we just all need to know it. Okay. And then the last section, uh, a couple chapters are in, in Hebrew because it was more insider language. And so I just think that we, we need to look at those books, guys like Daniel, who were just wise. I mean, Daniel was wise, Joseph wise, mm-hmm. and they thrived in non-Christian cultures. Mm-hmm. And so we need to look at those believers who thrived in non-Christian cultures. Paul is another one of those guys yeah. that that thrived in a non-Christian context. And so we, we need to look at those people. But you know, if you're not in God's word, God's word's not in you. And, and that's the problem. Wisdom comes over time. It doesn't happen instantaneously. There's no microwave to wisdom. And that's why you need to be listening to God's word over and over and over again so that you can become wise. Remember, that's why Proverbs is written, to give wisdom to the simpleton. To, you know that and be, you, mm-hmm. God, I I need to I need to understand this wisdom. And so, um, listen, your life depends upon it. Your family's life depends upon it. Uh, this church's direction depends upon it. You have to make great decisions. I mean, we just we just all need that. So that was great. Boom. All right, let's switch over and talk about some of. I the... I meant the question was great, not my answer. No, no it is good. <laughs> let's talk about some of the heaven questions, some of the other stuff uh, that has been we've been talking about lately. Yeah. So you wrapped up the other series, just talking about racial racial reconciliation, how that's really going to happen and be complete when we're in heaven. Um, so we got a lot of questions in just on heaven, and you talked a lot through uh, the book of Colossians in that message. And the first question actually comes in. It's not necessarily about. Uh, heaven, but I think you'll enjoy this one. Bryce writes in and says, I'm hoping you could clarify something from your last sermon in the other series. You said that the reference to dirty language in Colossians 3.8 is not saying we should never cuss or never be profane. I'm sure what you, I'm unsure of what you meant. 
um, if you meant that Colossians is talking about, or if you're making a statement about cussing and profanity based on the Bible altogether. I'm open to different perspectives or correction, but I do not see the practice of cussing and being profane as being consistent with the Bible. Words like the S word are generally considered bad in our society, and I have a hard time imagining a believer who has an understanding of this would say something like that if they're bursting with the love of Jesus. Yeah, no, so apparently I was very unclear on this issue, so I apologize to everybody, and this is why the debrief is so great. It gives me an opportunity to clarify. <coughs> Excuse me, what, what, what I'm saying here is, there's two words that are together in this list. Now, the NLT tra- translated, I think not as dirty language, but as foul language. Okay. I think that's the way that it translates it. Um, but in the Greek, let me give it to you in the Greek, um, the first word slander is actually blasphemen. Okay. And so we, we think of that word in terms of, right, you, blasph- you, you blasphemy is a sin against God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but blasphemen here, and so ha- then here's where, this, here's where the, the translators are struggling. Why is blasphemy in this instance, and, and all of these things are not against God, but it's against people. So how do you blaspheme when you are with someone else? And then the next word, abusive speech, escrologia. Um, so um, th- that's the word there in the Greek. And so uh, the uh, NLT translates it foul language. Okay. But really, so here's the problem. You have you have blasphemy and you have this other word that, that means that they translate dirty language, foul language, or whatever. And so what I think Paul is doing is he's putting these two words together for a reason. And so there's not a comma in Greek. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we you have to try to infer what does he mean by these two words sitting together? And what I think he means is he's talking about profanity in, in its utilization against someone else. So there's a difference for the Christian between smacking your thumb with a hammer and using a curse word. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's right. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's a good thing. And that's not what I meant to communicate. But there is a substantial difference between hitting your thumb and saying a, a bad word and using a bad word to describe someone else. Mm-hmm. For the Christian, what's what's awful and what's ugly and what needs to come out of us is, is you know, dehumanizing somebody by using blasphemy and slanderous abusive speech towards someone else. So even like the word idiot, mm-hmm. if I say you idiot, right? That's we wouldn't we wouldn't consider that um a bad word. A bad word. It's but, not getting but, bleeped out in the but rap But man, songs. that's that's destructive. If you say that to your children or your yeah. wife or mm-hmm. or or whatever, um, you know, you, you got to be really, really careful. So, but like I use the word idiot all the time. Like that's stupid. That that's idiotic. But I'm mm-hmm. not saying to a person, "You're an idiot. Mm-hmm. You're stupid. You're no good. You're this. You're that." Those words destroy. Um, you know, literally the relationship between you and that person, your relationship with God, and so that's what we need to get out of us, the way that we relate to each other. You know, in heaven, we're not going to curse at one another. We're going to praise one another. We're going to be able to see one another uh, for the beauty and and just the amazing, uh, incredible uh, person that we are. We're going to be able to see that. And we're going to be able to glorify God by glorifying one another and say, wow. Um, You know, and so Paul says that we have an earthly body and we will have a heavenly body that's a glorified body. And so we need to start practicing speaking good things into each other. And so that's all that I meant is you got to be really, really careful. It's one thing to be driving on the freeway. Here's a better use of it. And you you almost get an accident and you say a curse word. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. God, please forgive me. I'm sorry. You know, let's deal with that. Because the Bible says out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So that's something that's in your heart. But man, it's another thing if you scream at the person next to you and you, and you use that filthy language to, yeah. to them. That's a real issue. As a Christian... If you value Jesus, you're going to value people. You're going to value people. And you have to deal with that issue. 
And so the number one issue that we deal with in the church is not profanity. Um, you know, there's a lady in our church, she cusses too much. She does. And I've, I've, I've talked to her about that, but she treats people so well. Hmm. She treats people well. So what's, you know, some of us will say, oh, well, she's, she's cussing, so she's bad. But then there's people that they're slanderous, but they don't use profanity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't have to use a curse word to be abusive. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's what it is, is we need to make sure that we don't use abusive language, even when we correct, even when we talk to them, you know, even when I, when I uh, correct my kids or I challenge my kids, you know, I love you, I care about you. That's why, you know, and, and, and I don't always get it right, but you've got to be so clear that they have value. We have to treat one another as value. And, and that's what abusiveness is in the church is when you're not valued and you're not honored and you're not respected. And so we, we're trying to live that out of the church. That's, that's all I'm saying. So I, I think as a Christian, you should not use foul language. You should use descriptive language. And sometimes that may include a foul word, but but for the most part, we need to really, really make sure that our words are good and uplifting words. Mm-hmm. So I am not saying to cuss. So <laughs> thank you for clarifying that. There was actually a couple people in the lobby that stopped me on that. So, mm. you know. Man, that answer was beautiful. Thank you. I actually did that specifically. I'm hoping that producer Kelly can, after I do the b, can just bleep out the rest of beautiful for... Real just a fun, a fun, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fun, just a fun little joke for the people there. Okay, hey, so... T- <laughs> Tyler says, Are you laughing at your own joke? Now? I am. I okay. am. I thought it was hilarious. Um, Tyler says, You used a lot of verses from Revelation in your sermon about heaven. I grew up in a church tradition that taught from the book of Revelation in a way that was intended to scare us. So I've always stayed away from reading it after that experience. Do you have any suggestions for how to approach this book in a healthy way? Yeah, Revelation is a scary book because, mm. uh, and it's written intended, uh, it's, it's, it's intentional that way. I mean, there's dragons, there's, uh, you know, there's fire. judgment, fire, there's the, the, the wrath of God, you know, there's angels destroying things, you know, horsemen. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's vivid imagery of the judgment that is to come of God's wrath on his creation because of their, literally, their rebellion against him, their continuous rebellion against him and their denial of who he is and, and who God is. And so I think the first couple of chapters of Revelation are a great place to start. It's letters to the church, um, to a couple churches, and just challenging them. I think mm-hmm. that's a great place. And I just think you need to remember that, you know, Revelation 21 and 22 are coming, mm. it, the way that it ends. So what makes a great story is not just the happy ending, but what did the people have to overcome to experience the ending? Mm-hmm. You know, we all like that in a movie because it's a great story. And that's the story of humanity, of God intervening on our behalf and overcoming evil. And so I would just say that, you know, there's a lot in Revelation that we don't understand. That's why there are various, you know, um, translations. Um, you know, one of the commentary sets that I purchased 15 years ago, 15 years ago, I bought this commentary set by Brahman Holman. They still don't have a commentary on Revelation. Oh, really? Because they can't agree on what to put in print. So they just haven't hmm. dealt with it. And, and those are those are scholars. And it's just funny to me. And so, um, you know, even guys like Martin Luther, great scholars of the past were like, man, I don't know. So um, I would just say, don't become obsessed with Revelation, but the, Revelation begins with those who read it are blessed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would read it and just say, God, what do you, what do you want me to know in that? And, and again, I, I don't think it's scary for those of us who believe. I think it reminds us of the seriousness of our faith and the bre- brevity of our life. Our lives are quick. And, um, and that's what, you know, th- that's the beauty of death. The beauty of death is it reminds all of us 
look, man, none of us are going to live forever in these bodies. We better get our souls right. Mm-hmm. And um, so the book of Revelation, I think, is quite challenging in that area. But again, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful at the end. And so, and, and the book of Revelation ends with the church says, the bride says to the spirit, come. Mm-hmm. So the church actually should be praying for the end. Pray for the end. Pray. You know, it's like, I mean, it's like, it's like a virgin husband praying for the wedding with his virgin wife, right? Mm-hmm. He's excited, man. He is pumped up for that day. Um, because he wants the marriage, he wants the love relation consummated. It's that kind of drive. And that's the way revelation ends with the spirit and the bride say, come, come Jesus, come mm. back because we want to be with you because what's going to happen is going to be incredible. It's going to be awesome. So great question. All right. So Brian Orden and said um, on Sunday, the weekend that you talked about having you referenced Revelation 21, 22 through 27 and talked about the gates of heaven and how as Christians, we entered and exited the new heaven through those gates. The verse continues to say that nothing evil will be allowed to enter. So does that mean that evil exists outside those gates? Yeah. So that's just one of those questions that won't be solved until there. I actually, man, maybe when I get a little more time, I would love to, to write uh, a book on the possibilities because there's there's just passages of scripture where Jesus talks about, and it's specifically those who are outside. Mm-hmm. So, man, <laughs> I don't know what he meant, but I'd like to look into that. And so, you know, Catholicism and uh, the Church of England have this thing called purgatory. Uh, we as uh, Protestants don't have that in our theology, and I don't embrace that. Um, but we need to explore that. I need I need to look into that more deeply because he's he's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, is, is he being figuratively there? Is he being literal there? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the promise is there's, there's not going to be any evil or sin in the city. And so we, we can trust that we can be safe there. And so it's so funny because in the modern world, cities are dangerous, right? right. We, we mm-hmm. move into the suburbs to get out of the sin of the city. And in the ancient world is the exact opposite. You actually worked in the suburbs, you farmed, mm-hmm. but you didn't, you didn't live out there. It's dangerous you came into the city because the city had walls and gates and you were protected and you wouldn't be overrun by marauders. And so it was a very, very safe place to live. It was you know, the first form of security systems for people. Mm-hmm. It protected them from other human beings. It protected them from animals. Right. You were safe at night. And um, there's nothing that's gonna be evil in there. And so um, that that's the promise. There's not gonna be anything ugly about it anymore. So that's a great question. I need to spend some time researching that, but I think it's a great observation. And that's a person that's paying attention to scripture, but Jesus talks about that as well. Mm-hmm. Amber says, I was just discussing with some family members how Revelation 21 and 22 mentioned the nations. Does that mean we will have different ethnicities? If so, is this in heaven or the new earth or both? Yeah, so actually um, I, it, it's both. So um, specifically, uh, in the Old Testament, it talks about, so, right, my nationality is I'm American, right? but my ethnicity is European. And so mm-hmm. that's where it gets confusing. Yeah. And so, um, and, and we understand ourselves in, in various ways. Um, like you can, you could be Mexican, but your nationality is American. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your ethnicity is Mexican, but your nationality is American. And so um, these words sometimes are used interchangeably, but the Old Testament actually references both. Mm. Um, I believe it's in Daniel. Um, b- both are there, um, you know, both are, are, are part of it. So both the ethnos and the nations are there. Hmm. So, so we're all going to be there and, you know, w- which means we're going to have ethnic diversity and national diversity. And you got to remember it's, you know, um, like many, many people call themselves um, Arabs nowadays. So, you know, Egyptians consider themselves to be Arabs. Many right. Syrians consider themselves to be Arabs. Palestinians 
for most of their life considered them to be Arabs, but for a thousand years, they weren't Arab. Mm -hmm. They were Ottoman. Mm -hmm. So, you know, an Arab could be there and an Arab could be Egyptian or an Arab could be an Ottoman or, you know, I mean, it's right. Names change. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was no such thing as Palestinians till about 80 years ago. It didn't exist. Yeah. They didn't identify as Palestinian um, really until the creation of the modern state of Israel. And so now everybody, you know, just assumes, oh, these people always call them Palestinians. Well, a couple hundred years ago, there was no such thing as Americans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you got to remember the Bible is speaking for all time. So there's both nationalities and ethnicities. And, and many people who are uh, nationally English may genetically be, you know, Irish or Scottish because of, you know, I'm so, they're all going to be there. That was a really complicated answer. Sorry. <laughs> the food court in heaven is going to be awesome, though. Oh, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Way to bring that back. Because well, yeah. there is going to be food. It says that. We are going to eat. It's going to be so good. Yeah, I was I was paying attention to that part. Highlighted. <laughs> mm-hmm. Underlined it in the, in the Sandals Church app. Right. I bet you did. All right. This next question comes in from Anonymous, who says, If I'm honest, when I think about heaven, I often feel conflicted. On one hand, I long for Jesus' return. But on the other hand, I find myself saddened by the prospect that so many of my loved ones will not be on the new earth with me. More than half of my family, including my dad, have rejected God so they can enjoy the pleasures of this world. I've faithfully prayed for them for 15 years. I've invited them to church. I've loved them. And sadly, nothing ever changes. How do I look toward heaven with great anticipation when my heart is so heavy for my family? Man. Yeah. Okay. That's super intense. Um, Jesus speaks about this, that his coming will divide families, mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, husbands and wives. You know, I think about um, our trip to, to Vietnam a couple years ago, uh, maybe a year ago, and we had um, a couple people get detained. And the reason was a wife came to Christ and her husband turned her in. Mm-hmm. So in Vietnam. And um, that's a real thing. And here's the thing is, you are called to love your biological family. You are called to uh, honor them, uh, be loving to them, pray for them. But ultimately, your family forever is the church. That's your family. Your spiritual identity will far outlast your biological identity. And you have to understand that. Mm -hmm. And so we need to all be moving towards this... um, love for Christ that's so deep that ultimately, you know, I, I hate to say this for your dad, but he doesn't want to be there. So, um, and at the end, you know, um, I, I, I think some of the tears that are going to be wiped away in heaven is our tears for our, our lost ones and our loved ones. But on the day of judgment, it's going to make sense, mm-hmm. you know, and um, don't give up, keep praying, keep asking. Um, and I realize this is just a really, really difficult thing for families. But again, our family ultimately is the church forever. And I know that sounds cultish, but it's sad that only cults kind of understand that. And they manipulate that. You know, Sandals never wants to separate you from your family. We don't want to isolate you. Those things are very, very dangerous. And organizations that do that are cults. But we need to have a love and appreciation for each other. We are united and forgiven because of Christ. And so our first love. So what is the great command? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength. What does that mean? It means God must be your first love. Your loyalty must be to him. And um, that's really, really hard for us in a a modern day when we feel like we get to have it all. And the reality is you don't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not, I mean, there are some people that are gonna reject God and that is awful and sad. And, um, but that's why we need to share the gospel. That's why we need to preach God's truth because when people reject Jesus, they reject heaven. Mm-hmm. So, 
You know, I was thinking this person might be encouraged by verse you shared with us a couple of weeks ago in your sermon, the second Peter three, nine, mm-hmm. I think it is. Yeah. That, right. Her heart is echoes God's, right? Yeah. God is not slow as some people think of mm-hmm. slowness, but he is waiting for all those to repent and come to him because God doesn't want anyone to be judged and go mm-hmm. to hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So God shares your heart and he yeah. shares your concern. But at the end of the day, God is love and love does not violate free will. Mm-hmm. So God is not going to force people to choose him. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are not robots. We are people. We are free will human beings and we have a choice. And man, that's, that's the greatest aspect of being a human being and it's the scariest aspect. Mm-hmm. So. so Lauren uh, ha- has a question here. This is the second to last one about our heaven series. The idea of healing in heaven as mentioned in the sermon continues to come back to my mind. If we are still healing in heaven from our sins on earth, does that mean that loneliness and regret will find its way back into our hearts? Will we repent in heaven? Yeah, no, we will not repent in heaven, but apparently there is, there's a process where God is going to you know, just heal. And so you think about that. I mean, great wounds take time. We, we wanna think of you know, a finger being snapped and everything being washed away, but part of, part of the beauty of true healing is the process. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we need to just appreciate that process of, you know, we want God to take away every pain. And so he's promised he's going to do that and it's going to be gone, but there's going to be a healing process. There's going to be a process of worship where we are not only saved, but we are healed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and there again, so the, the trees don't just heal the nations from their sin. I think they heal them from their relational brokenness. But again, what is heaven? Heaven is an ongoing connection with God. Even in heaven, our healing and our eternal life are connected to God. Mm. So think about this. There, there are no trees in hell where you, you, you live forever, but there's no healing. There's no medicine. There's no whatever. You're, you know, you're rotting forever. Mm. So what does Jesus describe hell as? It's the place where the maggot does not die. Yeah. There's no healing. There's yeah. no... Mm. And so that's what happened to Adam and Eve. When they are banished from the garden, they no longer live forever. They're no longer eternal... Uh, their bodies are no longer uh, made for eternity. And so we know from our, our bodies, right? Cells must be renewed, cells must be changed. And there's something in this, these trees that God plants that provide that. And what's amazing here is we're still who he always created us to be. You know, for all you mother earth people, we're still connected to the earth in some way mm-hmm. because God is planting a tree that's from the earth and we're also connected to him. We're going to live out what we were always meant to be, fully connected to him and fully planted on earth. And so um, it's gonna be a beautiful thing, so. Hmm. All right, our last question comes in um, from Anonymous, and I think they actually sent this in to you. It said, with so much chaos in the world, it can be hard to remember that heaven is real and it can be hard to wait on Jesus. How do we as believers cling to the hope of heaven when everything seems hopeless? What's the, and what's the best way to share that hope with others so they believe that it's real? Yeah, the best way to share that with them is to let them see it in you, and which is why we got to go back to Colossians 3. Mm-hmm. Colossians 3 is all about live as a citizen of heaven. You've got to live like that. You, you've, got to, you've got to act like that. And again, so um, for so many of us, we, we claim Christ, but we don't live like Christians. Every citizen, citizenry, and we talked about this, right? The French and the Americans have the worst reputations on earth because we're arrogant, we're, we're self-centered, narcissistic. And so as Christians, we need to have a good reputation as citizens of heaven, honesty, um, service, love, compassion, mercy. These things need to um, identify us. You know, our word is our bond 
And, and we need to do these things because when people see a legitimate different from us, it's going to lead to a conversation. Mm-hmm. You're such a good guy. You're such an honest guy. You're such an honest gal. And it's an opportunity to share the gospel. Actually, I'm not. God's mm-hmm. done a work in my heart. God's changed me. God's blessed me. Um, God's, God's done this in my life. And so it's an opportunity to share the gospel. And, um, and again, it, you, you don't have to go into the Roman road and all of these things. You just simply say, look, Jesus saved me, man. He transformed me, changed my life, and I'm grateful. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm actually really, really honored that you noticed. And that really encourages me in my faith. Um, so we need to be hard workers. We need to be, you know, we need to be good people. We need to be good people. I listen to this Jewish guy, um, Dennis Prager, all the time. And, and he's Jewish. He's not a Christian. And this is what he says. He says, if your religion is not making you a better person, he says, to hell with your religion. Hmm. And I think he's right. Mm-hmm. Like, if, 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 if you're a Muslim and it's not making you better, what are you doing? If you're Buddhist and it's not making you better. But the same way is if you call yourself Christian and Jesus is not manifesting himself in you and making you better, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So, for us as Christians, if, if God's not making you better, Christ isn't in you. It's not, he's not there. So if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, herself, pick up their cross and follow me every day. You got to die to yourself every single day. And it's learning to say no to yourself so you can say yes to Jesus. And that is the process. Um, I just want to close because man, we're, we're got some good time here, but we I want to do uh, Colossians 3. Um, Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, if if you have been raised up in Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your hidden life, uh, the NLT translated this way, your real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. So then he goes on, you know, to talk about all these things that we, that need to be purged. You know, I love that word lurking in the NLT. Yeah, yeah. All of these things that are lurking. And um, you've got to start dealing with those things because that's your best tool for evangelism. Look, we've all been in small group with people who are not nice. You know why that is? There's a lot of stuff lurking in there. There's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of ugliness. And, you know, if you're a Christian and you can't readily identify the sins in your life, that that's the distance between you and Christ. The closer you are to Christ, the more aware you are of your sin. You guys missed that one. I'll say it again. The closer you are to Christ, the more aware you are of your sin. It's too late. You should have done that the first time. Okay, and here's why. So when people have a hard time, and so how does that manifest itself? If I'm not aware of my sin, I'm gonna be judgmental of others. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happens. So I start mistreating others. I start judging them. I'm overly critical because somehow I think I'm awesome. And what I need to do is say, okay, the way that I'm awesome is I draw near to Christ and Christ shows me the things that are lurking in my life. So what are those things? Anger, which again, we're, everybody wants to talk about profanity, but what, why do we cuss? Because it's anger that's mm-hmm. inside of you. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can limit your language all day long, but if you don't deal with anger, you haven't dealt with the problem. Wrath, mm-hmm. you know, that's revenge. Malice, slander, right? Abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to each other. We do that every single week in small group when we, when we don't confess our mm. sins. Mm. You know, every single day. I, you know, I, I sin, I have bad thoughts. I mean, oh my gosh, right? So we, we've got to do these things. Um, don't lie to one another, one another, but put aside your old self with its evil practices. Mm. We all have these evil practices, these things that we do that we need to get rid of. 
And then he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Right? And then, so we're talking about racial reconciliation. When we do that, then there's no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all. So that ultimately what brings us together, the problem is not racism in the church. The problem is sin in the church. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. If we don't deal with sin, we're not gonna heal racism. So we have to deal with our own wounds and our own things. And then man, think about that. You know, at Sandals Church, we're, we just love one another and we just care for each other. And man, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me that, you know, you're, you're uh, an ethnic minority, but we actually celebrate that and, and we appreciate that. Yeah. I was having a meeting with um, one of our uh, young female staff. And I just said in the meeting, I said, you need to know that your gender is not a problem at Sandals Church. I said, be the best you can be go get them. Mm-hmm. And she's like a 23 year old woman. I said, go get them. I want you to be the very best that you can be. I want you to be all that God has called you to be. And I think she's the best we have right now at Sandals in her area. And I just told her, your gender is not a barrier. Her barrier is her faith mm. and her trust in God and you know her work ethic and all of those things. And I just said, we're gonna put that aside because what we want is Christ to be in the lives of young people. That's the goal. And so we're gonna, we're, we're not gonna, you know, cause there's a lot of talk, you know, about men and women and how we relate and, and those, you know, we, we need to be talking about this. Instead of, instead of like crucifying Harvey Weinstein, we need to be talking about in small groups about male sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's a problem how we are overly visual, 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 and we demean women because they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. We, and we, okay, that's in almost every guy. It's in almost every single guy. And so I need to deal with that. Okay, how, how am I interacting with women? Um, how, how is that coming up inside of me? Because yeah. we live in a culture where women dress in a certain way. Then the women in this community group need to talk, okay, well, I need to, I need to double down again on how I'm dressing and, and making sure that I'm not causing uh, that to be more difficult for men in the church because I care about them because they're my brothers in Christ and I love them. And I don't want guys to, you know, to be overwhelmed by that. See what I'm saying? And we need to all talk about that. But instead, what, what we do as a culture is we throw rocks at everybody. That is the American culture. Mm-hmm. American culture is full of wrath, anger, slander, bitterness, rage, malice, all of these sins. That's American culture. So we as Christians have to say, wow, I'm, I'm in that. So I need to take a step back. And then when you're really different, when you don't participate in just ripping the boss, mm-hmm. you don't participate in bad mouthing people, um, you don't participate in gossip, and we gotta be really, really careful because this is how it works. You know, Justin, I'm really, really concerned about Matt. And you say, why? Mm-hmm. Well, I just, I just really wonder if, if, if things, if the success of Sandals isn't going to his head. Just you listening to that, you've participated in slander. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so those things, right, what does it do? It derails the church. It, 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 move, it, it moves the church away from their purpose. And so what are we called to do? Well, have you talked to Matt about that? I told Stephanie too. Okay. So, so now we need to have a conversation and we're going to go have that conversation right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had to have this conversation with members in our church. I'm going to give you 24 hours to talk to that person or I'm talking to that person. You've done that to me. Yeah. Because what you just shared to me was slanderous about that person. Mm-hmm. And if they did it, we need to, we need to confront them and challenge them. And, and otherwise you're sinning and I'm not going to be a part of that. Yeah. So, um, and, and I've made mistakes. I mean, I, I've been slanderous. I've been vengeful. I've done those things. Uh, I had an employee one time that called me on it. And I literally, in the middle of his rebuke, I said, stop, I repent, I need forgiveness. Hmm. 
I repent right now of my sin. You are absolutely right. What I said was wrong. Mm. I didn't say, but my point is, well, what I meant was mm. nothing because what I said about a fellow pastor was wrong. Mm. And I own that. Please, I said this, please forgive me. And then I texted their wife because their wife was a part of that conversation. Mm. And I said, look, I did this. I am totally wrong. And there's no excuse for what I did. Please forgive me. And then I went to the person and I said, look, man, I said this about you and I was an idiot. I was totally wrong. Mm. I am so sorry. That's the gospel. That's the gospel living out. And so, you know, and I get to do that all the time with my wife when she, cause I don't initially handle correction well. That's, that's where I'm working on. <laughs> so when my wife challenges me, I'm usually really good at it the next day. <laughs> so what I'm working on is being um, better at it initially. So, mm -hmm. cause it's hard. It's hard when the person that you love more than anybody else, you know, I want my wife to look up to me. I want her to value me. I want her to think I'm, I want her to think I'm a good guy. And so when she's saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing, it, it's more sensitive. Mm -hmm. because I care more about what she thinks than anybody else, but she's going to see more than anybody else. So I need to be very, very open to what she's saying. Um, so, and don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid to admit you're a sinner. The cross says you are. Mm -hmm. The cross says you are. You know, you, you, can, you can be a prideful Muslim, but you should not be able to be a prideful Christian mm -hmm. because there's a bloody cross with your name on it and Jesus died for you. So... All right, Man, that was a long good. answer. No, I loved it. Really good. Hey, let me, this weekend, we're kicking off a new series called Launch for the next month. Do you want to give us a quick sneak preview? Yeah, so first of all, everybody, just pray for me. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Uh, man, last weekend was exhausting. And so literally, I was having panic attacks on Sunday afternoon. I'm like, I got to write another message. I got to, <laughs> we got to jump into another series. Um, it's not as easy as everybody thinks it is. And so um, it was kind of funny because one of the board members was with me all weekend. And mm -hmm. he was like, wow. And he only had to talk for like five minutes. But you don't realize what it's like yeah. mm -hmm. until, you know, most of you guys, you come to church one time and, you know, a lot of people criticize, oh, Sandals, you know, you know they, they show things on video. Yeah, because we're trying not to kill me, please. <laughs> yes. I mean, come on. You know, just tell people, yeah, I watch on video because I love my pastor. Because I can't, I can't do any more than I'm doing. And, and the truth is I probably need to do less, but we're going to be talking about launch. And I want you to be praying specifically. We want to launch in the next couple of months, three more campuses. Mm -hmm. And people have no idea what that takes. And so- um, be in prayer for me for my research and all of that stuff. But we're trying to get these campuses off the ground and it takes a lot of work and a lot of prayer. And uh, just uh, really, it takes a conviction from us as a church. We're mm -hmm. gonna do this or we're not gonna do it. And this is what kills churches. When churches become more about themselves than the Great Commission, they start dying. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you die in spirit first and then, and, then, and then you die as a church second. And so we've got to make sure that we, we want to accomplish the Great Commission. And again, I said last weekend, the church is growing everywhere in the world, but America. Mm -hmm. It's dying in America. And so we need to be a part of the revival of the church in America. So we're, we're gonna send a hundred missionaries from our church to India, but we, we're gonna launch 500 campuses mm -hmm. uh, here in America. And so we're gonna do that for the next 20 years. So, um, <laughs> but listen, guys, we need you to start tithing. We need you to start giving. We need you to be financially committed to this. And so, because um, without your commitment, it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tammy and I, um, I'm going to share this at some point. You know, our, our goal, my, well, it's my goal, but my wife agrees. We want to give a million dollars to Sandals Church. That's our prayer. We're about 30% there. Mm. So, um, you know, because I'm not a millionaire, but over my lifetime, it's my prayer to give a million dollars to this church. So we, we want to be a part of that. And I want to know that I didn't just 
preach about this, but that I was a participant in this. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I just want to encourage people and maybe a million dollars sounds ridiculous, but maybe your goal could be 10,000 or a hundred thousand. And you just say, you know what? I'm going to do this because not only do I want to build all these churches, but I would love to to pass off um, our churches to the next generations Mm debt-free, no debt. You guys go get them. Because we have no idea what kind of persecution the next generation is going to face. But think about what we could do as an organization if we said not only did we accomplish the Great Commission, but we handed the baton to the next generation and we didn't just literally, like think about what America's doing. America's borrowing all this money and they're burying the next generation. Oh yeah, We're Christians, so we want to deal with our debt, knock it down and take care of business so that we can we can get the, give it to the next generation up and running. So think about it. At our next 20-year celebration, I'll, I'll probably be retiring. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's what the next one will be. And we'll be announcing who our next leader is. And so um, I want to make sure that I'm handing off to that guy. I want to start, I want to get him to the starting line with everything that I possibly can. Ultimately, it's his job to run the race, but I want to get him to the starting line without a lot of the burdens that, you know, these campuses that we're taking over, they're, they're, they're in debt and they're struggling. And so we, we want to help get them off the ground and help them take care of, of their business. But that starts with Christians getting serious about giving. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, if you're a young person and you have a thousand dollar cell phone and you don't have money for God, that's a problem. That's idolatry. Mm. You worship social media rather than God. And that's a problem. You need to go change your phone company and you need to get a cheaper phone because listen, saying yes to Jesus is saying no to yourself. And that's a challenge. And you've got to learn to do that. And um, all of us need to do that. You know, how do we cut back so that we can give more? And, and, and how can we be a part of that? So we're gonna try to launch three campuses, I think by Easter, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that sounds like a lot of time. <laughs> that is not a lot of time. And so be praying about what God could call you to do over the next couple of weeks as we launch these three new campuses. So it's yeah. gonna be super exciting. You know, there's a lot of people who, uh, a lot of you debrief listeners and watchers who are super on it. Like Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, mm-hmm. you guys are catching the episode right at the bat. And Pastor Matt has already talked about um, ways you can support the show. Listen, uh, if you're listening this week, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, even Thursday, man, there's some stuff happening right now at Sandals Church you should and could be praying for um, just as it relates to launch, as it relates to this vision. Um, just uh be praying with us and hopefully you get to hear some amazing announcements over the course of the next several weeks. So be praying with us. And if you also want to just straight up support Sandal Church <laughs> and the show, see that transition right there? Wow, that you was can nice. you can text give debrief to 951-900-4120. Give debrief to 951-900-4120. Not only does that support Sandal Church and this vision and mission, it lets us know you love the debrief and uh, that's where you're coming from. So we appreciate that. Especially those of you guys who are not a regular part of Sandal Church, who are plugged into your own church communities. Uh, or whatever, but really, really appreciate Debrief. Pastor Matt and his, all his answers. Give Debrief to 951-900-4120. Everything helps, and this is awesome. That's right. You can always follow us at Debrief Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's great places to share some of the quotes and clips from the show with friends. Get more people hooked on the Debrief like you are. We would love to have that. You can also get all the notes and resources from this episode at debrief.show slash 85. Mm. Pastor Matt, I was noticing your wristwatch is an hour behind. I, but isn't Daylight Savings coming soon? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, just leave set. it. Yeah, leave that for like one more week or two. Yeah, I need to update the um the what do you call it, the computer program. Oh. Wow. Or just leave it alone and you'll be back on time in like a month in, yeah. in a month. There or you a go. week. Daylight savings time. Who like can know it? Who can trust it? 